0: Whoop
2: they
1: Have you got Ramo yet?
3: Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, one and O oh time. Game 2 going to be tougher than game 1 time. Uh that's still okay, because right now, Tennessee's not LSU time. <sighs> Wild one. That was in New Orleans time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday afternoon. But uh, it, it might be Monday afternoon when you're listening to this. It might be Monday evening. It might be Tuesday morning. Hell, it can be whatever day you want it to be. But whatever time of day it is, whatever day it is, We thank you for spending it with part of us here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Hope everything in your life is going great. Hope everything was good for you this weekend. Hope you've had a safe Labor Day weekend. Hope you've enjoyed some some friends, some family, some barbecue, all of the above, etc. we got a lot to talk about on this podcast, boys and girls. We're going to go over to that home daycare center to get to Ryan Callahan, and we're going to get to the place we still haven't named, of course, to speak with Ben McKee Got a lot to talk about After Tennessee's 59-10 win over Ball State Tennessee's game coming up this week Against Pitt Lots of other things going on in college football Fellas, how are we doing today?
0: Doing well, man
3: uh, Yeah, we gotta figure out what, uh, what what stick you can have
0: with Ben I don't know if there's anything Oh, there's gonna be a stick <laughs>
1: maybe the, the judges chambers, because I love to sit here and watch Aaron Judge just destroy opposing pitchers as I just did five seconds ago. But maybe that's, the judge
3: that's true, but what the about Judges Chambers? What about when he signs with the Cubs in the offseason though? Then what? That
1: that that would require the Cubs spending money, which they do not do. So
3: which that, they have happening. They have, but they do not do. So yeah, that's interesting because they just sits on they sit on piles of money. And just don't want to spend it, so yeah, that's.
0: I would gra- I would greatly prefer if that didn't
3: happen. So let's
0: not talk
3: that into reality. That's fair enough. Fair enough. There, there's lots going on though. It's been a been a busy, busy weekend. I know that a lot of people like to use Labor Day weekend to do a little bit of resting. Uh, happened to do the exact opposite. Uh, wife went to a uh, wedding in Washington D.C., which left me with uh, with the the little baby monster for for a few days, and then. Um Sunday drove uh, to Nashville to meet my family and then went down to uh, the Bell Buckle uh, area to uh, go to a wedding of my cousins. and then drove back, uh, arrived back in Knoxville about 2, 2:30 in the morning. And then uh, went and did stuff with Hypel, So uh, not, not a lot of rest, but, uh, but good times. I will tell you, fellas, if you ever go to a wedding and it's like a, the, there's like three families, it's like the Tennessee branch of the family, the South Georgia, Southern Georgia branch of the family, and the East Texan branch uh, of the other family uh, in parts of Louisiana, you will hear three or four different languages, none of which are English. So that was that was good times
1: yeah i i can imagine maybe uh they they need to give brian kelly some tips on a on how to speak with the proper accent now that he's the coach at lsu uh, although i guess that is the least of his worries at the moment
3: yeah looking forward to talking about that before we get out of here just that game and the the florida utah game was wild uh just about everything in college football except for i believe clemson and georgia tech has been played so far in what we're still calling week one i don't you know The week before was week zero for some reason, and so that was week one. Uh, but lots to talk about there. We'll talk about that before we step out of here. Uh, before that, though, we're going to put a bow on Tennessee, 59-10 to 10 win over Ball State. I know we did uh, the post-game podcast there Saturday night or early Sunday morning at the stadium, where, again, we, we're, we're working on the mic situation. I don't think the audio quality there was quite great. We're, we're going to get that figured out. It was okay. We got the points across. Uh, but is there anything, Ryan, I know you weren't on, uh, the, the post game edition of the podcast, Ben, you were, um, but we talked about it afterward. I think we got a lot of the main points in has anything sort of anything that you've had a couple of days to season this and think about it, marinate on it, anything you think differently about that game or anything maybe that, that you didn't say after the game that you think you should have? I haven't gone back to watch the uh, the
0: complete replay yet. I, I did get to go back and watch a little bit of it uh, again because I, I tell people this all the time. You know, we're we're sort of multitasking during games. We're we're yes. making message board posts, and especially with how fast this offense goes, um, sometimes you look down and you're like, "Oh man, they just snapped the ball." Yes. Uh, so yes. Uh, so I definitely have to go back and rewatch even more so than than with previous systems. Uh, to to get a better feel for how how things went, uh, and I, I I thought Gerald Mincy was really good. I, I don't know how much you guys uh, you know really delved into that Saturday night, but I I really thought Mincy was even better than I expected him to be. Maybe uh, upon rewatching a little bit I have seen so far, I just he I, I thought he might be solid at best, but uh, I I believe he might have graded out as as pro football folks as top top scoring lineman on on tennessee's team so that that's that's pretty impressive uh that he was that good but i thought he i thought he stood out as as remarkably solid uh in in his first start and i aaron beasley was you know even even better than i thought um I, i thought he was very good watching the game but he was he was pretty solid and and thought jeremy banks was was maybe not as uh as good as i thought he was watching live but but Linebacker play looked improved, at least for one game. So that that kind of stood out to me watching back a little bit of that uh, of that game. But going to go watch the rest of that tonight and get get some additional thoughts. But those are a couple of things that kind of stood out to me on on rewatching the uh, most of the first half.
1: Yeah, th- those were the same things for me as well. Especially the left tackle battle. Josh Eichel said after the game that you cannot tell who was in there playing, and I do agree with him. There, there were no busts at that left tackle position, but ball state, all they did was drop eight in the coverage every single time. Uh, they, they did not blitz. I, I asked Jabari small and I even prefaced my question by saying, Hey, I, I know, <laughs> I, I know ball state dropped a lot in coverage and didn't really come after you all, but how, how was the pass pro for the running backs? And, and he just flat out said, we, we didn't have a pass pro. Yeah. We, we didn't have anybody to pick up once. So uh, Jeremiah Crawford, Gerald Mincy, both of them looked good, but they, they weren't really tested, and they will certainly be tested this weekend against Pittsburgh. We'll dive into that as, as the week goes on. But I, I'm with you, Ryan. Uh, I, I think there's some serious upside with Gerald Mincy. Uh, he's very athletic. He, he is a, a big body. Uh, I I think that, that he could really be a, a nice player for Tennessee along that offensive line. I, I would like to, to see – uh, hit him, be more locked in mentally, uh, maybe throughout the week and in practice. And that could, could really help him uh, tap into that athleticism uh, and be more productive on the field. But Cole Kublik, who is the offensive line guru uh, for SEC football and college football, he raved about him. Uh, and flipping to the other other side of the trenches, which was my biggest takeaway when going back and watching, was that the defensive line was better than I thought it would thought it was watching live? Uh, didn't didn't it really seem like there was a lot of pressure generated watching it live. You you only saw, or they didn't even have a sack if you if you look at the stat sheet, uh, and, and that is concerning. But you go back and watch, and and you do see Byron Young getting in the backfield and a step or two away from the quarterback. You, you see Tyler Barron moving some bodies around. You see Omari Thomas very very active there in the middle. You saw Deshaun Terry uh, be able to blow up a run play. Uh Bryson Eason was able to, to penetrate up the middle and uh, allow I believe it was Jeremy Banks to to shoot the gap on a fourth and one and and stop the the offense there and, and turn over on downs. Uh so the the stats don't necessarily reflect it and and it maybe didn't look like it to to the eye watching the game. But ball state getting the ball out uh quickly also played a factor as well. There were times when I watched when ball state was getting the ball out quickly. And if you pause it, there are Tennessee defensive linemen who had just beaten their man and were on the verge of getting to the quarterback, but because ball state was getting the ball out quickly, therefore it doesn't necessarily reflect that in the stats. So uh, that was my biggest takeaway uh, is is that the defensive line played better than I thought. Again, we'll, we'll really see what they're capable of this weekend. And, And I also thought Aaron Beasley uh was terrific. I don't mean to be long-winded, but man, Aaron Beasley is worth being long-winded about because of how well he played. Uh just reinforcing what Ryan was was saying. He he was all over the field. And not mm-hmm. only was he all over the field, he was he was popping folks. I mean, he he was really laying the wood uh on, on his hits and he should look like that against Ball State. We'll see how he looks against Pittsburgh, but but man, he he really did look like a, a different linebacker and maybe it was a level of competition time will tell um, but hard not to be optimistic uh, about Aaron Beasley moving forward I, I was going to say that I didn't want to go too far on Beasley but he,
0: he really did almost look like a different guy and you, you kind of reserved judgment a little bit because it was Ball State and that, that was the other thing you touched on that I, I didn't really feel like I came away from that game learning a lot about Tennessee as a whole and I think that you touched on it you know Pittsburgh is going to bring some different challenges that that Ball State just did not present and that's that's going to give us a much better feel for you know really how good that left tackle situation is how good that offensive line is in general how good the running game is you know Hinden Hooker dealing with pressure and and all of those things so we'll, we'll find out a lot more about this team this coming week but I, I I do think there are some individual things. At least you can kind of glean from that game, and and I, I did think those guys at least stood out. Kamal Haddon and some others too. So that, you know that you can benefit from from watching watching that at least a little bit. But I do my my overwhelming sense coming away from that game was I just don't feel like I know much more about this team than I did after watch before that game, and that was a little disappointing. But on the other hand, when so many other teams struggled in Week One or had much more dramatic games than Tennessee. There's something to be said for having a pretty drama-free 59-10 to win where it feels like Tennessee could have done a lot of things better even in a 49-point victory.
3: Yeah, I thought that – and again, I'll say this saying – adding that it's been a crazy few days. I have not had a chance to go back and watch the game. I hope to be able to do some of that Monday night. There's still a bunch of stuff to do during the day today in terms of work, getting caught up on some stuff. But but I I didn't get a chance to to rewatch much of it. But I agree. I mean, I gave Beasley, Beasley a game ball after the game on defense, and and I thought that he deserved that because of where he was all over the place. But but I thought going into you know watching the game, if, if it was pretty clear the ball state had two or three really big points of emphasis going into the game. And you could see this live. The first one was an understandable one that you're going to throw some razzle-dazzle early. You're going to throw out some, some, some different looks, a couple different packages here and there, the trick play on the first play of the game, which obviously blew up. Um, but but they tried to generate some stuff early to maybe kind of get a quick strike in and get some some quiet the crowd and, and kind of get Tennessee on the back heel a little bit. That was the attempt anyway. That was the first thing. The second thing was uh, offensively, Ball State was bound and, and determined that Tennessee was not going to get a sack. They were not going to take negative plays. Uh, there were so many times where the quarterback I don't know how many times he held the ball more than like three seconds. wasn't very often. It was usually one beat, two beat, and it's gone. Uh, whether it's you know, where it needs to be on time or whatever, that's another topic for another day. But it, 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 it was clear that was what they were doing offensively. Defensively, Ball State essentially threw its hands up in the air and said, we cannot really stop this offense. We know we can't stop this offense. We don't have the personnel. We don't have the, the dudes to do this. So what we're going to do is we're going to drop back seven or eight in coverage on every single play. And we're gonna make Tennessee go 10, 12 plays down the field to score. We're not gonna give up these 16 and 17 and 80 yard plays that Tennessee rips off against other people. What we're gonna do is if if they want to run the ball and take five, six yards of carry, we'll give it to them. if they want to um, you know, like try to try some of this trick stuff, we're not gonna let that happen. We're dropping back, we're keeping guys in front of us, and we're gonna hope that Tennessee makes a mistake somewhere along the drive. Because if it's a 10, 12, 13 play drive, whatever they try to make it be, that's 10, 12, 13 chances to get a holding penalty or drop a snap or throw an interception or do something that that maybe is a self-inflicted mistake that gives you a chance to get a stop. That was clearly what I think Ball State wanted to do, and they did make Tennessee sort of earn its way down the field a little bit methodically, which wasn't as fun for the crowd, but they made them do that. And then on the other side of the ball, they just were not going to take sacks. They weren't going to get everybody – the offense rattled. They weren't going to uh, let a guy with his first career start get rattled, uh, although that blew up sort of with the interception on the first play. But that, that was generally what they tried to do. And so what I'm trying to say here is that Tennessee's lack of sacks is not alarming to me because if you want to go into a game against a team and say, I'm not going to allow a sack, you can do that. Doesn't matter what the opponent is, you can do that. That just means that you're not going to get receivers far downfield. You're not going to be able to open some things up. But if you want a team to not have a sack, you can game plan for that. So that it, it's not a huge concern for me. I think they'll be okay going forward there. Um, but I do think that, that Banks was not great. He was fine. Beasley was really good. I uh, still got concerns about Warren Burrell. I don't think that that is going to admit it publicly. He's just not going to. Um, but – uh, they need him to start playing better football very, very soon, uh, and I'm still not totally convinced on the safeties either. So um, that's sort of what I thought from the game. I thought the running backs looked fine. They're going to have bigger challenges. Hooker wasn't at all his sharpest, but he he was fine. He he just sort of average. You know, he managed the game. He usually made. Most of the right decisions, I think the rhythm was never quite there because they didn't get the big early plays. They didn't get settled. It was just kind of – there were so many plays that were just kind of a beat-off, you know, just just one, one tick away from where it should be. The throw was a little bit – just a little bit behind. You're not quite where the receiver could get a bunch of yak or maybe just didn't quite make the right read to throw it right at the – you know, around time it was a step or two, uh, you know, late on the throw – the little things like that, but I, I'm not concerned about any of that. I don't have any major, major concerns from Tennessee after that first game, at least not any new ones. I, I think that the concerns that I have are still the ones that I had going into the season. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh,
1: I would say that I'm more concerned about the, the secondary than I was following the opener. I, I think we talked about it on – my, my first podcast that we did last week with Patrick, that I was cautiously optimistic uh, about the secondary. Uh, I, I thought that Trayvon Flowers, Jalen McCullough, those two guys being a year older uh, could really lead to a, a big season. And, and I agree with what you just said. I, I Just watching them run around, I, I just don't feel good. Uh, they, yeah. they, they take poor angles too often. Uh, they, they, they don't get to where they need to be quick enough, uh, especially number two. Uh, So so maybe that was a one game thing. But I I just feel like if you're doing that against Ball State, then it's probably going to translate even worse uh, against Pittsburgh and Florida and LSU. Those those teams that actually have legitimate speed and athleticism. Uh, And I I think Kamal Haddon's a really good player. I I thought he was excellent. I I really did. I I, I think uh, McDonald was really good. I like those two. I don't feel good about the rest of the secondary at the moment. I, I don't feel good about the two safeties. Uh, and I don't feel good about Christian Charles and uh, Warren Burrell. Warren Burrell, he was targeted 11 times, gave up six catches. Jeremy Banks wasn't good in coverage either. He, he gave up five receptions on five targets. Uh, Christian Charles gave up four receptions on four targets. Uh, so I, I feel less optimistic about the secondary. I, I was very optimistic. Uh, about the secondary going into the season, I don't yeah, feel that I, I anymore.
3: Was not, yeah, I was not. So, but but I mean, you know, it, it happens. I I'm kind of with you, Ben. I, I I didn't have high
0: expectations for Tennessee secondary going into the season, but I I did come away from that game thinking, man, I'm really not sure how much they've improved there. Um, just because I think I think you do it. They've done an okay job replacing Theo Jackson. I think between. To Mary McDonald and Wesley Walker, who who played a good bit uh, Thursday night, and I thought was pretty solid coming off the bench. Those two give you a nice rotation there. I think they've at least got a couple pretty good options, and and will 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 be good enough at the star position between those two. The that not a huge drop off there, even if you don't necessarily replace everything yeah. you lost with Theo Jackson. I think you're and, gonna
3: have to, con- Ron. I think you're gonna have to consider maybe putting one of them at safety at some point. Yeah, and and that's that's what I was going to get at. Uh,
0: you know, Josh Heupel, not, and, and we'll touch on some more of the stuff he talked about Monday in his press conference. But this was not one of the bigger headline takeaways. But I thought very interesting that he was asked about the safeties uh, toward the end of the press conference and mentioned that those two guys, the starters, will that they will rotate a little bit, but that those guys are clearly going to get the lion's share of the snaps at that position, and that tells me they. They still have a lot of trust in those seniors, uh, which which kind of defies logic to to what most
1: fans would probably say. Like, what well, why who are would... you going to put in though? That that's the and, question. Uh, yeah, like, I, I, yeah, I get not, I get wanting to see somebody else, but who is somebody else? Right. Right. I
3: I, I think I, I still believe that the the that as he gets more time under his belt, Walker's a guy who. Who, who could end up Walk- – him or McDonald, one, could end up moving back there a little bit.
1: Yeah, and Walker – and Ryan was making this point about Wesley Walker. He did a great job of getting into the backfield twice when, when he came in off the bench, but he completely whiffed on the tackles. That, that's something yeah. that you just can't do uh, against Ball State. I, I almost wonder if at some point, if Christian Charles does not bounce back, uh, I, I thought Christian Charles and Warren Burrell, I thought their struggles were different. Uh, I, I thought Warren Burrell was just the same old Warren Burrell that we're used to. Christian Charles, to me, just looked like a young guy who played like a he played like he was exactly what he was—an inexperienced corner at this level. I mean, he was a high school quarterback and worked at safety for the majority of last year, if I remember correctly. And now he's starting that corner in Week One, and you could tell his inexperience was was showing. It, it was very evident. So. Maybe he does bounce back as he becomes more comfortable there. But I do wonder if at some point if corner doesn't work out for him, if he does move back to safety, because that's what's got, that's what got him on the field early last season is, is being, being able to make some plays at safety. And he would have kept playing at safety more. I think even over those veterans, if he had not got hurt at Missouri. Yeah,
0: that's an interesting point. I, I I was just going to say, I, I I feel like that's that comment from Hypo said a couple things to me. One that they're, and we've seen this before. Willie Martinez, of course, in his second stint at Tennessee. I think he's always shown a, uh, a comfort level with veterans yep. that is harder to replicate with young guys. And I don't know, just from the comments from Tim Banks and everybody else, I don't know that they feel Andre Turrentine has enough experience for them to trust him fully just yet, um, where I think he, he does some things talent-wise that the other guys – Maybe, maybe don't. You know, I think he's, he gives you a little more speed than, than McCullough would. Um, and, and Flowers has his moments, but just isn't maybe con- as consistent as you would like. Um, so, I it, it tells me they still have a lot of, or the, Willie Martinez, Tim Banks, whoever, still has a lot of trust in those guys as veterans, even though they do make some mistakes or have some shortcomings. And then I, it also tells me that they they just yeah don't feel maybe that they have another option that's uh, that's close enough to them to want to rotate much at those spots. So I think that's really interesting because, yeah, I, I didn't think those guys played especially well. And, and that's going to be a bigger concern against tougher opponents. I mean, for Ball State to throw the ball as relatively effectively as they did. I mean, they, they put up solid numbers, at least uh, in, in a game that was not granted in question at any point. But they put up some decent numbers. And if, if Tennessee's going to look that beatable in the secondary – all season they're they're gonna get torched by some teams that can really throw the ball
3: before we go to break and we're a little bit overdue for it so we can't belabor this point as much before we go to break but I I I do think we need to mention sort of ball distribution from the first game offensively for Tennessee Uh, I wonder if that's it it, it, basically the love got spread let's put it that way uh, it looked a little bit like early last season when when Tennessee maybe hadn't quite identified who the main targets were going to be throughout the season, and so the ball was just kind of spit out everywhere at first, and then and then you were able to kind of define things going forward. W- was that ball distribution, which by the way, I think there was only one target for a tight end the entire game that I noticed, and it was the one that, that Fant didn't make the play on, but uh, I, I think that Hunter, Hunter Salmon had, Oh, the, Hunter, uh, yeah, one, that's went right. His hands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Milton, Milton well, per, Fant dropped one too on a, on a third down. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the one I remembered. I didn't, I forgot the, the, how, how could I forget the one? It was, in the, one in the, it was end the
1: third down in the red zone right before chase McGrath settled for the field goal to make it 10 nothing.
3: Yes. And I'm not positive. He gets the first down if he catches that ball, but he needs to catch that ball and give it a shot. So that's a ball, right. And there was, there was also
1: in. an instance uh, to your point about hooker not being as efficient earlier. I think that's a fair criticism but his receivers didn't help him a ton either. Hunter Salmon, and I guess that was with Joe Milton, but yeah. uh, Fant dropped that one. And then Brew, the, Jordan Rodgers did a great job of, of detailing what he didn't do right. I think it was a post in the end zone, uh, but the one to Brew in the back of the end zone going towards the south side, he, he didn't stack the DB when he beat him. And because of that, Hooker wasn't able to lead him. And, and throw a pass to where he could have caught it cleanly. Instead, it was more of a contested catch and he wasn't able to come down with a touchdown.
3: That's a, that's a good note there. That's a good note there. And I, and I didn't notice that in live action, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, but in terms of the way that the ball was spread, do you think that's something where they're just trying to figure out who the main targets are going to be and then they're going to start you know, forcing the ball to those guys more in terms of trimming a rotation? Or do you think this is going to be – just a different kind of season where Tennessee genuinely has five or six receivers who are going to make plays and then a couple of tight ends who are going to be involved.
1: I think this. they have a ton of options, Ryan. I, I think they have a ton of options. I think Brew is going to be the real deal. I think Hyatt's going to have a great season. And I think Walker Merrill, Jimmy Holiday, I think they're going to be very serviceable. Uh, I think Squirrel White, uh, I think he's going to be able to play here and there. I thought that was evident by how early he played in the game against Ball State. He didn't come in towards the end. That tells me that the coaching staff wants to get him genuine reps. You saw Ramel Keaton do some nice things, and he's a veteran. Uh, and then you have the tight ends. I don't think that they were used a ton on purpose game one, but I think they're going to be real weapons, especially Jacob Warren going forward. Uh, and then you even have the options out of the backfield, and, and Jabari Small and, and Jalen Wright, who also had some nice catches. And that's not even including Dylan Sampson. So, Ryan, for me, it's it's just a matter of, Uh, Hooker has more weapons this year than he did last year. And that's nothing against Bayless Jones. Bayless Jones would still be one of the top options in this offense this year, even with these guys. But there's more guys to go to than just the the three guys you could go to last year.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that point. I I was going to say, I I feel this week will give us a much better idea. I, I just think last week was such a good opportunity for them to try out some things. And, so I, I don't know that that gives us a good sense of how they're going to rotate guys when when they're really up against it in a tight game. I, I get the sense that this will be a much tighter rotation this coming week against Pitt. Now, how much tighter? I don't know. I, I still think they've got enough options that I'll be surprised if you don't see them play at least six or seven guys a few snaps. Um, but I, I'd, I would not be surprised if you still see this staff lean pretty heavily on those top three guys because I think they do feel they've got something pretty good with Brew McCoy. I think they're excited about what they saw in Week One and, and saw that he's he's going to be able to make some plays after the catch. That he's going to be a tough matchup physically. Um, that that Jalen Hyatt obviously is going to be able to make some plays. And you obviously know know what you have in Cedric Tillman, uh, who who had a very workmanlike but impressive yeah, yeah, effort yeah, the, in Game the, the One. Streak,
3: the streak the got snapped there. Of uh, I think it was seven games or so consecutively that he had a touchdown and. I, you wouldn't have yeah. thought Ball State would have been the, the the one to end that streak, but you know, then again, you only play like a half. That's <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the deal. But I yeah. I, I, I just think it's interesting, guys. I, I think it's it's interesting to see uh, are they really going to pare this thing down? Because I I, I agree that there's excitement about uh, Brew McCoy and there should be, but I also think there should be some excitement about Walker Merrill. I think he's a pretty good player. So uh, and I think he's he's a much different looking player physically than he was last season. So I, I you know. I think that's a lot to, to look at, and I think that's going to be interesting. Um, I also think the, the that uh, at left tackle, I think Mincy has sort of started to look physically better. I think we always knew that. I thought that might take a few games into the season before that really started to stand out, but, but maybe not. Um, but, guys, this is going to be the first time that they're going to be on the road, and, and that's going to be a first road start for Gerald Mincy, and that you know, or would, would be for Crawford either. So, uh, that's something to think about. We need to flip the page. We got to talk about pit. We're, we're we're behind schedule on that. We got to step away though quickly before we do that. Got to step away, pay some bills, listen to some products, services, in house ads, etc., and then we'll be right back here on the Go Balls Twenty Four Seven Podcast hashtag Ad Money. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Ryan Callahan coming to you from his home daycare center. Ben McKee coming to you from uh, a place that we have not named yet. He believes it's Judges Chambers. I believe that I would like to see Aaron Judge be a Chicago Cub, and I'm not going to name it Judges Chambers, uh, although I might have to because I would. I'm I'm betting that he can, he's going to go ahead and sign with the Yankees. Sadly, sadly, sadly. But we are here talking Tennessee football on this edition of the GoValls Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I've uh, been talking a little bit, wrapping up Ball State from, from the week one there. Now getting to a, a bigger, bigger game, uh, bigger game, tougher game, tougher stage. Going up to Pittsburgh, the uh, the artist formerly known as Heinz Field to play the Pitt Panthers uh, this Saturday afternoon, I believe on ABC, which will be a different look for, for Tennessee fans who haven't had to watch many Tennessee games on that network uh, in several years. So lots to discuss there, lots to discuss. And we're going to have a couple more podcasts this week getting you ready for that game. But we do need to turn the page and start talking about it. So we're going to do that after uh, I give you a quick, uh, quick. You uh, know, I don't want to say suggestion, a quick request. Let's call it a quick request from this end, guys. If you could uh, go ahead and take about a minute out of your day, maybe seventy-five seconds, maybe ninety seconds tops. Go in, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That would help us out tremendously. Uh, If you're just listening on the website for free, we love you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. But what helps us out the most is if you go on there, uh, whether it's, you know, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find this GoVoss 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. Uh, Very, very few complaints from our end. It's a labor of love what we do here, and we're happy to provide it for free. But since we do provide it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask. If you can go in there, rate, review, subscribe, and tell some friends. Uh, you're probably not the only Tennessee fan in your life. You probably got uh, you know, friends, family, uh, coworkers, work proximity associates, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if they're Tennessee fans, tell them about this podcast. That still works, too. If you're already doing all of those things, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Guys... Pitt, the Pitt Panthers, Tennessee going up there this weekend to battle a good team, a team that went into the season ranked 17th. The team that some people in that program think could be better than that. Um, I, I think most of us are kind of still on the fence. We know Pitt's history; it's kind of up and down. You never really know, but there's still some talent on that team. Uh, had a big rivalry game in Week One and were able to, by the skin of their teeth, hold off West Virginia in the backyard brawl. Maybe. A Slightly closer game than some people think. I, I think those people might be a little foolish because that's a big rivalry and you don't really see a ton of blowouts there. But nonetheless, uh, it's a new-look pit team in some ways. Offensively, looks a little bit different. And obviously, with, without Britt, without you know Addison, those things are going to happen. But it is still a good football team, a team with a good defense, a, a head coach who's a great defensive mind. I think this is a big game, guys, an exciting game, and, and I think this is one of those ones I can't wait to cover.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those games for me, Ryan. Where I I just absolutely love working all week leading into the game. I, I love doing this podcast and, and breaking things down, the, the matchups, the X's and O's, all, all that fun stuff. Writing about it, um, it's 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 a fun week, and, and I think it's going to be a really good football game. Uh, Tennessee at the moment is up to a touchdown favorite. That that's a wow. that, that's honestly a big surprise. That move
3: that moved quickly.
1: Yes, it started at what, four and a half? Yep. Yep.
0: So it yep, started around four and a half and I, yeah, not shocked. I think that line had been there for most of the offseason, but it did open in some places with that. So I think there there clearly was an expectation a lot of people were gonna jump on Tennessee with that offense.
1: Yes, and I I'm I'm surprised it's that big because I, I think this is a, a pretty evenly uh a pretty even matchup. I I think this is two evenly matched teams, uh, more so than, than fans maybe want to to acknowledge and and that's not a slight against Tennessee it's more of my belief that that Pittsburgh is a pretty daggum good football team and I I thought that was evident uh, last Thursday against West Virginia I thought West Virginia was very impressive and and that was just a a good old back and forth college football rivalry game and it's weird because like you said Wes it's a new look Pitt team in terms of at least offensively kind of what they're focusing on this year, just being a, a more run oriented team. But for the most part, it's a lot of the same roster from last year, just minus Kenny Pickett and insert Keaton Slovis. And I, I will warn Tennessee fans not to discount Keaton Slovis because he is a very talented mm-hmm. uh, young man and he is certainly capable of beating Tennessee and, and spreading the ball around, but, but they've got some good backs. They, they have some interesting receivers, Uh, An Akron transfer who has really turned heads in fall camp. Uh, Gerard Means, who is now going by Bub Means. He's the former Tennessee transfer who went to Louisiana Tech. Uh, He also turned heads uh, during fall camp. Jared Wayne, a a senior. They have a tight end. And Gavin Bartholomew, who was a a freshman All-American last year. Uh, The offensive line and defensive line is just – it's senior, senior, redshirt senior, COVID senior, redshirt junior, junior. I mean, it it is – all upperclassmen uh, in the two deep for both the offensive line and defensive line. And, and it's not just experience uh, that it has. Uh, they are very talented players uh, as well. And, and there's there's a lot of veterans at the linebacker core and in the secondary as well. Their linebacker, uh, Servake, I guess I'm saying that correctly, uh, Dennis, uh, he is the best player on that team. Um, one of the best players and one of the best linebackers in the ACC. So it's it's going to be a great matchup. Ryan, that I, that I think uh, should should lead into a great college football game.
0: Yeah, I, I really I'm fascinated by this matchup because it, it is kind of the classic uh, line of scrimmage oriented team against the explosive team that's maybe not as dominant up front. Uh, so what wins out here? Uh, essentially, the the high powered offense that is starting to put up 40 plus points on a pretty regular basis now, and and, and really has some. Some key pieces back and and added in the case of Brew McCoy, um, and and it's going to be hard to slow down maybe in year two under Josh Heupel or the team that really likes to get after the quarterback has a lot of guys back up front on both sides of the ball wants to run the ball but is certainly capable of throwing it as you said with Keaton Slovis and that that's a great point because I think a lot of Tennessee fans are thinking this pit team you know maybe not as explosive as as capable of keeping up with Tennessee score for score if it gets into that kind of game. But I, I think Slovis, I mean, he's a talented guy. And and that was my question about that team last week. And when they had to score, I mean, they, they got some help from their defense, obviously. But when they had to score, they were still able to put some drives together and, and got the job done. So I, I think Slovis is still very capable of going out and, and winning this game for Pitt if it gets into that kind of uh, high-scoring game. So it, it's a fascinating matchup to me. I I will say this. I went into the season, and this was discussed at length on, on our season preview podcast, that I at the time picked Pitt to win this game, and I don't know as of right now what I'm going to pick this week, but I am a little bit less convinced that Tennessee loses this game. Uh, not that I was is that, ever is that, is that
3: line. That line moving, scaring you, Ryan? I, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not so much about that. It's just I. I, I just
0: think. Pitt, look I mean again I'm I'm not sitting there watching every play of that game uh, I still want to go back and watch some some more of that Pitt West Virginia game but we were we were trying to keep an eye on that during the Tennessee game Thursday night and I I don't know Pitt Pitt looks very solid very solid I just I just wonder if Tennessee has gotten to the point now and this was not the case a year ago I think a year ago this team was still trying – I mean, clearly they, they changed quarterbacks in the middle of this game last year, and that was a huge part of why that game turned out the way it did. But the I, that offense clearly was not firing on all cylinders the way it was toward the end of last season and, and the way it is probably now.
1: So I, I just, agree with you, Ron. I I, I, I I feel better about Tennessee beating Pitt. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm more confident than I was prior to Tennessee playing Ball State, and it's not necessarily anything that, that I saw from Pitt – it's what I saw from Tennessee and the offensive line, uh, the, the Tennessee offensive line. We, we talked about Gerald Mincy earlier uh, and, and Jeremiah Crawford also looking pretty good. But, man, I was really impressed by the other four and, and the nastiness that they played with from kickoff uh, until they came out of the game. I, I thought Cooper Mays, Jerome Carvin, Darnell Wright, uh, Javante Spragans, I, I thought they were excellent, uh, absolutely excellent. And, and that gives me more confidence going into this game To to back up what you're saying, Ryan, because I I think Tennessee's offensive line and and really you can lump in both lines of scrimmage. But I I really think whoever wins the battle between Tennessee's offensive line and Pittsburgh's defensive line is going to win the football game.
0: I I agree with that. And and I, I think that's the one thing I just I don't know enough about yet, because Pitt did some things last year that easily could be duplicated. We saw Tennessee's run game disappear a little bit even the second half of last season when they ran into good defenses they they weren't always able to run the ball with the running backs you know this is maybe a game where Hendon Hooker ends up being your leading rusher um you know if things go the way they did last year because they didn't run it very well with Jabari Small and Jalen Wright last year if that happens again that's that's a challenge for Tennessee they're gonna have to find a way and this may be a game Hendon Hooker just flat out got to go win it himself um with with what Pitt does and, and what they do well and, and, and as you alluded to earlier, Ben, and I think this is a big deal because Tennessee doesn't have a lot of guys who are proven in this area, how well are they going to pick up blitzes? They know they're going to expect a bunch of different looks from Pitt. They like to throw exotic blitzes at you on third downs and, and sometimes on, on early downs too. How, how prepared are Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson even, to get in there and, and pick up those blitzes? And do they have any breakdowns in that area that lead to some big plays? Uh, We we didn't get to see anything about that in the the opener. So I think the fact that Tennessee is not tested in that area makes it hard to say what's going to happen when you throw those two things together. So fascinating matchup. I'm like you. I'm surprised Tennessee is a touchdown favorite, but not surprised. And again, it's not that they beat Ball State the way they did. It's just some things about both games made me a little more, I guess, confident about Tennessee's chances of going on the road and winning that game. Still not convinced I'm going to pick Tennessee, but I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more that way than I was going into the season. And I guess it's just the I think Tennessee's just got this aura, this confidence about itself on offense now that it's going to score a lot of points. So I think Pitt just is going to have to find a way to score 40 if it's going to win this game, even with even if they do some things well up front. And that's a, that's a big ask against anybody, even if Tennessee's secondary is very beatable, as we discussed earlier
3: yeah, I don't want to sound like alarmist or defeatist regarding Tennessee's defense because I do think there are some some a couple dudes on that defense who can give you some big problems. And, and I think you know with all the stuff that that we've been critical of from last week, they 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 did allow just ten points. I mean, it should have been seventeen if the kid just doesn't fumble the ball at the pylon. Um, but still, um, you know, three of those points are, came on a short field late in the game with, you know, with, with backups on backups. So, it, the bottom line is, I, I still I don't want to sound alarmist or defeatist about Tennessee's defense, but I do think this game will, will be the first, but certainly not last game of this season where Tennessee is just gonna have to flat out outscore the opponent. And of course, if you want to twist those words you have to outscore anybody to win any week right it's 10 to 7 it's, it's it's 45 to 42 you still have to outscore the opponent but i think this is going to be one of those games if you want to put it maybe more accurately where i do think tennessee might have to approach or surpass 40 points to win this football game i think that's, that's fair like, yeah that's not a crazy thought and and it's it's
0: not so much that pitt does anything that's just that outlandishly tough to stop but i think they are a very solid offense and I think we're gonna find out, you know, those concerns we mentioned earlier that Tennessee has on defense. We're gonna find out how much of a concern those are going forward. You know what we'll get into this in a few minutes. I know everybody watched Florida and some of these other t- other teams uh, on Saturday and and kind of started thinking about more. I think about, <laughs> as you watch those games, you're like, what's Tennessee's defense gonna do against these guys? And and that's kind of what I was trying to think as I watched the pit game. And and I, I don't know yet, you know, a year later how how did Aaron Beasley, Jeremy Banks, that defensive line, you know an improved Byron Young. How do these guys all match up with a team like Pitt? It, it's hard to say for sure. I, I think Tennessee is, is very capable of matching up talent-wise. But like Ben said, I, I, I think it is a little concerning. that, that it's, I still go back to what I thought going into the season. The, the most concerning part about this matchup is clearly what Pitt can do with the line of scrimmage and the fact they've got all these guys, I think all five starters back on the offensive line all those guys back on the defensive line with, with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, you, you've got a lot of experience and a lot of production on, on both lines of scrimmage. And if Tennessee's offense looks as good as it did this past week, I think Tennessee can win. But we're going to learn a lot more about Tennessee's offensive line in this game. And like Ben said, the winner of that matchup, I think, has a very good chance of winning this game. Because if Tennessee's offense is struggling in pass protection, it's going to be a long day, even if then Hooker's playing pretty well.
3: Yeah, I and I think this is one of those games where, where you there's not really a game where you say, Man, it sucks having a senior experienced quarterback going into this game. I think this is a big one to do that. I, I think you you know, you're trying to set a tone, you're trying to right or wrong from last season, you're trying to take care of business against a team you felt like you should have beaten last year. To me it all it all stacks up in terms of yeah, this is a really, really good time to have a senior quarterback going on the road, uh, and he certainly he's seen this defense. Now, this defense has seen him a lot the past, um, you know, or you know, seen him, seen seen him more than once. So, so there's a lot that they are going to know about each other. There's certainly not a ton of secrets really going into this game. Um, so it's it's easy to say, well, he knows them, but but you, you, it's not just a mirror, right? Like it's somebody else looking back at you, and they know you too. So I, I think. This is one of those games you just really like having Hooker as your quarterback. I think that this is a game where Tennessee, just so sort of globally speaking, I think Tennessee, this team really, really, really feels like it absolutely should have beaten Pitt last year. I don't think this is one of those things where they were like, you know, man, 50-50 game, could have gone either way. I think in their minds, they're thinking, yes, the quarterback, their quarterback was awesome. Yes, they had a receiver who was awesome. But that was one that we let get away, and we should not have lost that football game. And I think Jabari Small sort of said that, but in a very, very polite way on Monday afternoon when we were talking to him. I just think this is a game that that means quite a bit to Tennessee, and I think this is one they want to get right. And I think having these veterans on this team is going to help that cause.
0: I would agree yeah. with that. I'm oh, sorry, Ben. I, I was just going to say that I, I think Tennessee does have that sense of you know it's not a rivalry game in that sense. I know it's the Johnny Majors Classic, and that's still cool. I, I like that they're doing this at both stadiums to to honor him, but uh, it's not a rivalry game though. Really, it's not a you know there's not guys that are really that familiar with themselves aside from from uh, from Bub Means <laughs> on both rosters. Uh, even though Pat Narduzzi said Monday, of course, that he uh, feels like he's been playing against Hendon Hooker for 12 years. Uh, but it's not a not a rivalry game in that sense, but it is one that I think Tennessee feels it, it it let slip away last year and should have won. They had some plays early that Joe Milton had some overthrown balls to wide open receivers that could have been huge plays. And if those plays go differently, and I know ifs and buts, right? But if those one or two of those plays turns out differently, it might be a different game. And instead, they end up losing by seven after a late one of the few interceptions Hinton Hooker threw all year uh, cost them late in the fourth quarter. So. Uh, I, I do think they feel they, they need to win this game, uh, a little bit of payback on their minds. And I think they know it's going to be a physical game. They, they're ready. I think they, they're going to have to be ready because Pitt, they know, is going to hit them in the mouth. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm again, it's a fascinating matchup, and I, I'm eager to see how this plays out because it's a, it's a real test for Tennessee. It really is. And, uh, and I think it's just huge in terms of setting the tone for this season. And I think players know it, too. If you win this game, you've got all the confidence in the world, and you're going to feel pretty good about yourself going into a real test against Florida. Uh, in front of your home crowd in a couple weeks, and if you lose this game, suddenly, uh, you know, it, it, very quickly, people could start to question a little bit of what Tennessee's built and a little bit of this positive momentum they felt all off season. Not to say that it would unravel the season by any means. You haven't played an SEC game yet, but it, it, it could cause some self doubt uh, to creep in there a little bit. So I think this is, this is an important game and a tone
3: setter for the rest of the season that they know they need to win. Ben, what are your sort of thoughts on on where? What kind of season – I don't want to say this is a defining moment because it's not an SEC game. You know, Tennessee, in theory, could lose this game, but could still win the SEC East. I mean, it's not like it's a complete deal breaker for the season, but I think it's just – it's hard to start thinking about Tennessee winning the number of games people thought this team could win or maybe would win in some cases. That calculus gets a lot harder when you look at, at potentially losing this game. I mean, this is a big one.
1: It is. It absolutely is, Uh, and and not necessarily in regards to winning the East because, uh, A, this has no impact on potentially winning the East, and, B, I I don't think anybody in the East is going to be able to compete with the Georgia team that we saw against Oregon on Saturday anyways. Uh, But but how this game is big in terms of the success of the season is that I think it it could potentially uh, be the difference in – nine wins or or seven wins or or the difference between seven wins and eight wins. And and the reason I kind of jumped to nine is because I I think if you win this game, then it's a pretty good indicator that Tennessee is going to live up to expectations this year unless they just completely fall apart or if the injury bug hits them pretty hard. Uh, Because, again, I I think Pitt is a legitimate team. I I think they're one of the best – 15, 20, 25, at, at worst, teams in America. I, I truly believe that. Uh, and, and this is an opportunity for Tennessee to cement themselves as one of those 15 to 20 best teams in the country as well. And so obviously if, if you go out and beat somebody of that caliber, that that shows that you are of that same caliber. And um, that, that would give me further confidence that they can go to Columbia and handle business against South Carolina and, and handle business when Kentucky comes to town handle business in, in Baton Rouge, handle business against Florida. Not saying that those are definitive wins, but uh, it surely makes you feel good going into those games. Uh, and honestly, like at least before the season, now it may be a different conversation after uh, we we saw Anthony Richardson on Saturday night. But I, I was more confident in Tennessee beating Florida and beating LSU than I was beating Pittsburgh, just because on, on paper – over the offseason, I thought Pitt was a better team than, than Florida and LSU because of what they are in the trenches. Winning football starts in the trenches, and that's why LSU was embarrassed last night against Florida State. Uh, it's what has plagued Tennessee for a long time, really since Dobbs was here, and, and Hooker's been able to, to kind of um, you know, make it to where it doesn't look like the offensive line issues are as bad. But now that you factor in a good offensive line – uh, I really think that this team can, can live up to the hype. So that that's kind of why I, I view the pit game as such an important one is because I, I think it's going to be an indicator of things to come just because of how I view Pittsburgh as a good football team. And if Tennessee can beat them on the road, then, then that, that is a, a fact in my mind that Tennessee is a good football team itself.
3: Anything. Uh, or go ahead, Ron.
0: I was going to say, I, I, I wanted to touch on just what, what Josh Heupel said Monday. I, I think the, you know, one one thing that did come out of uh, Monday's press conference, I guess, uh, just Juwan Mitchell, you know, not really commenting uh, on his status saying we'll, we'll find out later in the week. Uh, from what I've heard so far, I think there's a real chance Tennessee is without Juwan Mitchell again in this game. So uh, one of the factors that I'm eager to see Saturday, how it plays out is, you know, we, we kind of saw Tennessee play a lot of guys. Thursday, and like we were talking about with the wide receivers, how much depth does Tennessee really have? I think we'll find out a lot about what this coaching staff thinks it has in terms of depth. How many DBs do they really rotate? You know, we heard a lot about that throughout preseason camp. Do they stick to that? You know, you have to rotate guys on the D line, so I think they'll rotate there. You know, do, how much do we see Jeremiah Crawford in this game? If, if, uh, if Mincy played as, as well as, as, uh, as I think he did, you know, does he start to run away with this job or do we still see both guys play a lot? Do we see six or seven receivers play in this game and play a lot? Do we see them play all three top tailbacks quite a bit? You know, how, how much does Tennessee rely on those guys, or does it kind of tighten up the rotations and and try to trust those guys that they think are their best players a little more in this game? Um, and and I think depth could be a factor if that's the case. So I, I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out. But without Jawan Mitchell, if that if that's how it plays out, and we'll have to wait and see later in the week. But I think that is. That is potentially a, a big loss for Tennessee because even, even if Aaron Beasley's playing better, having that third linebacker that you really trust in there, or at least a veteran that you think can play pretty well at a higher level, I think, than, than, than Pat Garland and uh, and Solon Page, I think could be a big deal in a game like this. So we'll, we'll see how much depth is or isn't a factor, but I think that's something to watch because they were clearly much freer about substituting last week and then this week. I just think they'll take a different approach to this game, knowing it's probably going to be a close one.
3: Before we get out of here, guys, anything from Week One in college football that that really, you know, stood out to you or seemed interesting? Because I'll have to to, to leave the discussion on on FSU LSU up to y'all because I I saw the highlights, you know, the three or four minute highlights, but I, I was at my cousin's wedding in the middle of, you know, a very rural area in Tennessee. So I I didn't see much of that game, uh, just a few plays here and there. Um, But I did think it was interesting that um, Utah has got to be kicking itself for the rest of the season for losing that game at Florida. I think Florida might be a little better than some people thought, at least offensively, but Utah left like 20 points on the field and in, in, in that game and, and that you're not going to go to the swamp and beat even just an average Florida team while doing that that really stood out to me that that I'll give Florida credit for winning that game, but I think Utah lost it as much as anything, frankly. Um, but still, Richardson's a really, really talented kid. Uh, Kentucky was just all right. You know, Barry and Brown with a nice kick return there in week one. Um, you know, some interesting things, but but nothing that – you know, Alabama's still pretty freaking awesome. Georgia's still pretty freaking awesome. I know Oregon was expecting that game to be closer. Anything – what stood out to you all from, from from week one in college football?
1: The Florida game. That, that was my biggest takeaway, and I'm I'm strictly speaking to SEC football because that's what impacts us and, and the listener most. Florida was the most impressive team to me this weekend in terms of what my expectations were for them. Uh, Georgia had the most impressive performance, and I, I think now you can officially put them in the same same tier as Alabama in, in the sense of losing a ton of superstars – and inserting a ton of superstars, you you truly don't rebuild, you just retool. And that's the phase or the tier that that Georgia has entered. Now, I think to firmly be associated in that tier with Alabama, you got to go win multiple championships. We'll see if Georgia can do that. But in terms of just plugging and playing, Georgia has certainly reached um, that point. I mean, they have a freshman, granted he was a five-star freshman out here, making as impressive of an interception as you'll ever see which is just yeah. absolutely silly. So uh, Georgia was the most impressive. But in terms of what I thought of teams and my, ex- my personal expectations for teams, uh, I was very impressed with, with Florida. Uh, and, and it was Anthony Richardson, and, and I do agree. Utah lost that game. Uh, they, they had to the fumble at the goal line. They, they had another goal line instance in, in which they had to settle for a field goal. Uh, and then they obviously had the interception to end the game in which the Florida player didn't do anything special. Uh, the Utah quarterback threw it right to him yep. uh, and, and threw it into double and triple coverage. So I, I do think that Utah um, lost that game more than Florida necessarily won it, but I thought Utah was going to beat Florida down, uh, quite frankly, just because of how awful Florida looked at the end of the Dan Mullen tenure. I did not expect them uh, to, to look – it, did, it didn't look like it was Billy Napier's first game, is what I'm saying. And, and I, I did not expect that. Uh, and I, I knew Anthony Richardson would be a problem, but I thought his lack of weapons on the outside and, and a lack of an offensive line would, would kind of hamper him. And that wasn't the case. Uh, and, and maybe the humidity played a role. It certainly seems like it because Utah missed a ton of tackles. And year in, year out, that's a, a stout Utah defense. Yes, and and incredibly, it did not look incredibly
3: like well-coached football team, usually.
1: Right. So So hard not to think that the humidity – played a factor there, so uh, I'm not saying Florida's going to go on to, to challenge for the East or anything, but uh, they, they look better than what I thought that they would be, and uh, Anthony Richardson, Hinton Hooker at the end of the month is going to be fun, and, and I tweeted that, and, and some folks had some interesting responses. I don't understand why people can't understand like them going back and forth in a shootout is what I was referring to, not necessarily watching Tennessee try to slow down Anthony Richardson, because that will not be fun for Tennessee or Tennessee fans. Uh, but just in terms of good college football games, a shootout, offensive shootout between Anthony Richardson and, and Hendon Hooker will be fun, even if it does take uh, a couple years off the life of a Tennessee fan. Yeah, uh,
0: that's the, that was obviously the big takeaway for me. Uh, you know, Florida looked – I'm not surprised it was a close game. I thought Florida would make that a close game, being at home. You know, I thought they would play pretty well in their first game under under Billy Napier, but it's how they played pretty well. It's how they, you know, won the game even if Utah had to give them some help. But it's it's you know Richardson, he's going to have his moments like that, I guess. But I, I didn't know if I'd see one this early against a team like Utah. So for him to have that kind of game in a pretty big moment, in you know, a in a really tone setting game for that team. Uh, and we'll see if they look any different this week against Kentucky. Know Florida gets two early tests before Tennessee. Very unusual for their schedules. We usually see them play two or three patsies, and We don't know much about Florida going into that game this year. Totally different story. So Florida's going to be pretty well tested. But if they play anything like they did this past week, um, I think they beat Kentucky. And, and that's a potentially unbeaten Florida team rolling into Knoxville in a few weeks for what should be a pretty fun game. Um, so we'll, that that obviously stood out. Uh, you know, Relevant to Tennessee, very relevant. LSU – might right now be the worst team in the SEC West. And that's not something I expected to say. Florida State looked improved, uh, but LSU didn't look good. Uh, so that's that's good news if you're Tennessee, because that, that suddenly looks like a much more winnable game on the road. I'm not sure LSU's offensive line and their offense can do enough uh, for them to keep up with Tennessee in a high-scoring game if it were to turn into that. So that is a, that is a potentially big deal for Tennessee, because that, to me, was always a swing game that I leaned Toward an LSU loss going into the season, and now if that's if that's not the case, if that's a toss up or you lean Tennessee, that 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 makes a, a path to nine wins much more realistic. So uh, that that's a big deal for Tennessee. And then yeah, obviously Georgia stood out to me. Just I, I expected them to handily win that game, but not not by that kind of margin. I and mean, that's just stupid. Oregon's not a bad football team. Maybe they're not as good as we thought they were, but Georgia just dismantled them and just clearly had superior talent across the board, and I think it's just a reminder that Georgia, this is not your old Georgia anymore. If you if you think of Georgia as this talent-filled team that routinely screws it up and finds ways not to win championships, I think it's time to realize that Georgia has just become the other Alabama in the SEC. That, that talent level is going to be hard for anyone to catch up to for the next few years, and so Tennessee's just got to keep thinking, chip away, chip away, chip away. Keep establishing yourself as one of the top contenders to Georgia, and then worry about chasing them down. Because right now in the SEC, it's Alabama and Georgia, a big gap, and then everybody else.
3: Yeah, I do agree mostly with with both of you. I do think Georgia is just kind of the new Alabama. But to Ben's point, I agree with that, that that Georgia's going to have to win multiple championships before it really wants to claim that it's on that level. And it's going to have to show up more consistently in those big, huge games at the end of the season before I, I think I'm ready to go... That for although it does have you know the one championship and you know came very very painfully close to a couple more so so I think it's it's you're you're both right there I think you're you're both you're you're basically on the same hymn sheet there um, but but I, I I think the one thing that I'll say that that I don't think was um, it's funny because we didn't talk about him at the end of this podcast I don't think he gets talked about nearly enough around the country and we t- we we talk all the time about how unappreciated Hendon Hooker's season last season was KJ Jefferson is just consistently a Really good performer, and I don't think that that he gets a tremendous amount of credit, and and I think he he should get more. I think he's a really good player.
1: He's I, underrated. He and Hendon Hooker are are very underrated. Uh, my, my Swain Event listeners know that I am uh, one of the presidents of the Sam Pittman fan club. Yes, he, he would have I, been my SEC coach of the year. Welcome to the club. Last year, welcome to the club, too, I, ben. Yeah, I, I I love him. I love their roster. Now now they have a difficult schedule this year. Uh, and winning Cincinnati may help, but uh, their, their record may not reflect actually how good of a team they are this year because of how difficult their schedule is. Um, but that that Arkansas team, I, I think, is is going to be pretty good and, and give a, a lot of teams fits. I don't think they're going to challenge Alabama. To, to win the sec west but I, I think that's going to be a really good team i i think that they're the second best team in the west uh, i i really do i think they're better than lsu i agree with ryan that lsu is probably the the worst sec west team at the moment i wasn't very impressed with texas a&m uh and, and i expected that I, I wasn't buying into this a&m's challenging bama for the west they, they have a ton of talent it's all young they're, they're a year away in my opinion and, and that showed against sam houston and it it didn't help that they had like a three-hour lightning delay, um, and it looked like it was just blah after that. But even before the lightning delay, they, they weren't that impressive. Uh, Ole Miss really struggled against Troy, uh, especially in the second half, uh, just a 28-7 win there, and, and Lane Kiffin was irritated afterwards with the offensive performance. Mississippi State, uh, I, th- I think they're always going to have those games where they just like the world on fire, and, and then they have the yeah. games where they just forget how to play offensive football. Auburn. I just don't think they have enough talent. So I think Arkansas is going to prove to be the second best team in the West. And KJ Jefferson is the the West version of Hendon Hooker. I, I had that thought to myself multiple times this weekend that KJ Jefferson and Hendon Hooker are probably the two most underrated quarterbacks in all college football. I, I would agree with that. And,
0: and you know, we, we, we saw a lot of Tennessee fans as the uh, as those SEC quarterback lists would come out. Some inevitably would have Jefferson ahead of Hooker and they were kind of scratching their heads about it. And I, Tried to tell them at the time. I think Jefferson's right there with Hooker. I think they're both really good. They do different things a little bit for their teams, uh, and they have to play them a little bit differently, but they're they're both outstanding. And yeah, that was a that was a big win for Arkansas. They're not on Tennessee's schedule this year, obviously. And that's probably a good thing for Tennessee because that's a I, I agree with you, Ben. I think right now I would pick them second in the West. I, I'm a little bit disappointed in AM's week one. You know, like you said, there's a reason for maybe that how that game went, but they I, I didn't think they were ready to challenge Bama but I thought they might end up, you know, second in the west and now I, I would say I'm not so confident in that stance. Uh, Mississippi State might might end up being a sleeper still. We'll see but you know, not sure they looked like that in week 1. Yeah, we, we uh,
3: week to week states, you know, league yeah. teams
0: are really hard to figure out. Yep. But in regard to Tennessee, the one other team I wanted to mention is I you know, I I was I was banging the drum and I st- I still think it's a tough game for Tennessee but Kentucky didn't look ready to to challenge for you whoa know, to be ryan
3: that, ryan are you are you backing off the hill to,
0: to be that clear second second best team in the east or anything like that you know i i don't think they quite looked that way it's week one still a long way to go they do have some young wide receivers like barry on brown they've got to get up to speed but um yeah they didn't that offense to me if, if you're going to keep talking will levis as a first round pick and all this stuff he, he's got to be sharper they've got to they got to take care of business in week one against a team like that a lot easier and they looked that looked a lot like those old kentucky offenses that didn't just put teams away in a game like that and that that makes me think kentucky is a it's still a very winnable game for tennessee this year not ready to say they're going to disappoint but i think they looked pretty human for week one
1: yeah they they, they did not look good uh they did not look as good as they should i i still think kentucky's going to be a a pretty good football team especially by Kentucky football standards they're going to have a good offensive line uh, they, they have a great front seven as they typically do Mark Stoops does a good job with, with defensive backs uh, but they're still young at the receiver position although they, they have some talented guys um, Will Levis I agree with your point I, I think he's a good college quarterback but he's not a first round pick uh, And and if he is a first round pick he certainly has to perform better and be more precise than than he was in week one now the one thing that I would say to Tennessee fans uh, about the the week one Kentucky performance is that they do this every year they they do this every single year they almost lost to UTC last year there's been other games in the past in the last two three four years where they look awful early in the season and and then they turn around and lose a heartbreaker to Florida or or end up beating Florida and going on to win 10 games so uh, it's obviously a very winnable game for Tennessee. I do think Tennessee will will probably be better than Kentucky, but uh, I, I would throw that out there that that Kentucky typically does not look good against lesser competition early in the season.
3: Yeah, I, I think that that it, it's. I will say this about uh, Barry and Brown. I have a friend who works up in the Kentucky program, and I texted him during the game. You know, after while watching Browns. You know the highlights of of that kickoff return and everything, and and he he sent me a reply late after the game, and he, he was like, "Man, we've never we haven't had a dude like this," and, and and in terms of just what I you know, and and you think about it, they've had a couple of really good offensive players, they got a couple who are in the in the in the NFL now. But for him to say that about a kid who just kind of got there, that 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 says something. I mean, he basically was like, we, we've just never had a dude who can do some of the things this kid can do. So if he if – may he, if have two of them,
1: yeah. on Brown and Dane Key. Dane Key had a nice uh, touchdown yep. catch uh, as well. They're just super young, and I, I think they're really going to miss the the production loss from uh, Wandale Robinson, who was off to the NFL. Uh, Wandale was able to step in for – uh, the 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 guy the year before I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head um, played played a little wildcat quarterback there uh, for for a couple of games when they had some injuries at quarterback
3: yeah yeah basically played quarterback against Tennessee basically yeah
1: yes and almost won but uh, Kentucky would be a, a, a nice tough game for Tennessee but um, a game that I think Tennessee should win and honestly if we're gonna throw shade on on Kentucky. We also need to throw shade on South Carolina because I, I was not impressed with Spencer Rattler uh, yep. in his Gamecocks debut either. Good point. I almost
0: overlooked that one. Kentucky uh, you know, was kind of more on my mind as a, as a possible loss for Tennessee than South Carolina a little bit. But, yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. And, uh, hey, how about Shane Beamer throwing some – but maybe or maybe not, I guess, depending on your view, throwing some shade on
3: Tennessee for the, the does, Georgia State loss a few years ago. Does it ever matter what South Carolina says? I'm, no one – I mean, <laughs> I, I don't mean this – it's going to sound rude and it probably is a little rude, but, dude, no one cares. Like, no, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about just in general. Like, when you talk about teams that, like, move the meter nationally and get people's attention, like, it, it ain't you, South Carolina. Like, it, ain't, it rarely has been you. I don't know if it's going to be you. Like – done some good things as a program, got some potential as a program, but you go out and do something.
0: And, and, and to your point, uh, your, your Kentucky friend, uh, talking about Barry iron Brown, he is, if you haven't seen that kick return, he had, he hit a gear as he turned the corner and went down the sideline that very few guys in college football have. Um, he is a, I've said all along, a super talented kid. He just got to keep, he's, he's got to keep his head on straight, but if he does that, he's got a chance to be really good at Kentucky. And yeah, that's, that's the only thing about Kentucky, like, like Ben was saying,
3: you're back, you're back on the Wildcats for championship trail now.
0: No, no, but I was just say, but they might get better. You know, I didn't like the way they looked so much in week one, but they have a chance to get better because they do have some young receivers that might, might get that offense more in rhythm by the time they play Tennessee. That's a game that you, you'd probably rather play Kentucky early. Uh, like Ben was saying, they have a tendency to not get off to such a fast start and by late October. Uh, and I think they've got an open date before playing Tennessee too. Maybe that offense is uh a little more in rhythm as long as they're, uh, healthy, but they do have some talent for sure. It's, it's just young.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of season left to discuss uh, a lot of prom- primarily Tennessee, but also we, we just, we just love ball around here. There's always lots of good stuff to talk about and we'll continue to do that. We're over on time for sure. Um, so I'll be quick about this, but fellas, uh, anything that you, we did not discuss vis-a-vis Tennessee or uh, week one in college football that you think needs to be mentioned before we step out of here.
1: Not, not anything that springs to my mind. Um, I, I thought we hit it all, hit the nail on the head for, for pretty much everything, especially uh, our final thoughts on the Ball State game. I thought the offensive line was really physical, and that's a great sign because I think that's the best trait of an offensive line is is when it does play with a uh, a physicality that is unmatched. Obviously, playing on the line of scrimmage, it is already naturally physical, but I think those who understand football know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between just kind of the the physicality that you're just going to play with anyways because you play that position and then taking a step further and playing with the nastiness. And I I saw that from the O-line. I thought the defensive line was better after rewatching the game. Uh, Cole Kubrick even talked about uh, on the sideline how uh, for a MAC school, uh, Ball State's offensive line is actually pretty physical and had some experience. And Tennessee was able to handle that pretty well. Uh, they did a good job of, of taking the beef of all the defensive tackles that it has and, and filling the run gap. So uh, I thought that was a, a real positive. And, and I feel better coming out of the game after rewatching it because you do see that that Tennessee's defensive front was able to do some things that the stats don't necessarily reflect. So I thought that was my main takeaway from going back in and rewatching it.
0: And one more thing I wanted to mention that, uh, as I racked my brain, there was a name I meant to mention earlier and didn't get to. Joshua Joseph, I thought was pretty darn good for his first game. Uh, I, I didn't know what to expect from him. Thought his contributions might be just kind of here and there. Not couldn't count on him for a lot of snaps. I, I think after week one, he's the guy you're going to see out there quite a bit. And I, I thought it was interesting. Josh Heupel on Monday said, you know, mentioned the words "big role" for what you might see from him this year. I think he. He showed, even though he's still still developing physically, he's just too talented to keep off the field. And I think he at least, you know, didn't get a sack. Obviously, nobody did on that defense. But Joseph looked like one of the guys who can move the pocket, who can who can disrupt things back there. And that's a, that's a good sign for Tennessee to have some depth, that position. Finally.
3: I agree with that. I agree with that. Those are good points that both of you brought up there at the end. Um, y'all got anything else, by the way, I think, I think we're good now. We're definitely over on time, but Hey, there's a dude. We love ball around here. There's lots to discuss. I'm not going to apologize for that, but y'all y'all good. Yeah. Good. Right. Let's wrap it up. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks Wes. There's that button. And now I can say, Thank you for listening to this edition of the Govals 24 7 podcast. Guys, thank you, thank you for listening. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Twenty 247 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown 24 7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24 7 on Twitter. And Ben McKee is Ben McKee14 on Twitter. You can also go uh, to twitter.com/govals247 and facebook.com/govals247 to get all of the stuff there or most of the stuff there. We got stuff on there that we update throughout the day all day everyday tons of stuff on there, all good stuff. But if you want that best, most delicious, that sparkling delicious, crystal clear East Tennessee, Smoky Mountain, Springwater, right from the tap. Go directly to GoValls247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball coverage. We cover Tennessee baseball better than anybody out there. We got that for you. We got Lady Vols coverage with award-winning Maria Cornelius, who covers all things Lady Vols for us. You also get administration news. Basically, anytime anything happens over there, at the University of Tennessee, we bring it to you at govals 247com We also have two forums that run around the clock, the checkerboard and the summit where you can go and discuss uh, anything you want that is not political or religious in nature 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will be there to discuss it with you. Just about one of us is up just about all the time, at least, so you can go in there and do that. And you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. And that's after a free trial. And that's always a lot of times we have better deals than that, but at least we have the seven day free trial and then you can start paying us. And when you start paying us again, which is less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. If you do that, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount plus, which is the streaming arm of CBS, Viacom, Paramount, all of it, get all of it right there. And it's, I mean, you got stuff, brand new movies, exclusive movies, exclusive shows, you get stuff from the vaults of uh, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, all of it. And obviously, everything CBS has ever done commercial-free. That's a 100 dollars annual value that we'll put in your pocket for nothing. For nothing. So we're giving you several hundred dollars worth of stuff for less than 100 bucks a year. Guys, that is an unbelievable deal. So please, this is a great time. Go take advantage of that now. Uh, If you haven't heard from us uh, from a couple days, there's been a problem. We should be back here uh, in in a couple days or so. You'll hear from us very, very shortly. Until then, guys, be good to each other. Be decent to each other. Please, there's not nearly enough of that in our world anymore. God, we are so mean to each other. Have some basic human empathy. Allow people their dignity. Try to be kind. Be good to each other. Until then, be good, guys. See you.